Hey, what's up, guys? Chad Hermanson here with Mental Edge Training Coach. This week, I'll be chatting with Mona Stevens. Mona just happens to be the aunt of my wife, Bracken. Mona has coached at the Division I collegiate level. She coached at the University of Massachusetts. She coached at the University of Utah, was on a coaching staff for our USA team. So I'm really looking forward to sharing some insights and thoughts with her about the game of softball. How is it different from baseball? We're going to talk about her, talk about her life, her career, you know, what she is doing now. So enjoy this episode with Mona Stevens. What's up, Mona? How are we doing? Hey, Chad. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Now tell our audience where you are at. I am in Salt Lake City in my house, COVID distanced from everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in Salt Lake City. You've been out there for a long time. Now, where did you grow up in Salt Lake City? Yeah, I grew up here in Utah. I grew up in actually in Provo, uh, which is really funny because uh, I'm just not, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm not a little town girl. And, uh, but I was there for a long time and I moved to uh, Salt Lake my junior year in college because I, uh, I figured that the University of Utah was a better fit for me, and uh, it was awesome. Good move. And that was a long time ago, my friend. That was back in 1978. <laughs> you don't even remember 1978. I was one, so okay. we're going we're gonna to date you a little bit. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I tell my audience in the intro, so you are the aunt of my smoking hot wife, Bracken. Right. And, and you've known her. You actually taught her how to pitch. In softball, I did. Uh, she was I an did. athlete, but I, I want to go back even further because we'll get to that. Um, tell us about your upbringing because we, we played golf together. We've talked yeah. about sports our whole life together. Yeah. Uh, tell us about your upbringing as far as being an athlete. You know, it's really, it's, it's really interesting when you ask that question. I'm kind of like, huh, where did this start? How did this happen? And my dad was quite the athlete. He was, uh, he was just, he was stellar and he didn't have the opportunities to excel at it um, because he just, you know, he had a family and he had to, he had to provide for them and stuff, but he played men's fast pitch uh, softball. And, and I used to go and watch him. He, he would take me as his bat girl. Uh, I was a horrible bat girl. I was horrible because all I would do is, I mean, I'd walk out to the home, I'd walk out to home plate and I'd stand there and watch the play, you know, holding on to the bat going, this is cool. And there were so many times that they would grab me and rip me away from there just in time to avoid the tag at home. But uh, I remember, I remember watching the game and I remember thinking to myself, um, you know, pitching's really interesting and how hard can that be? Right. I mean, I, so I, they had these uh, cinder block, dugouts and I would in between innings when they're on defense I would go behind it and I would try to figure out how to pitch into the cinder block dugout and um, so I, I think I think it's sort of I, I you know I was sort of I, I was athletic I just wanted to play and I just remember that I remember when I was five years old here's my first my first claim to fame as an athlete I was five years old and the neighbor kids were playing this game and, you know, I was the youngest one and they were sort of describing this game to me of, uh, so the 14 year old boy is going to get on his bike and he's going to ride through the gauntlet of all of us. And we're supposed to take our rock or our stick. This is what the game was supposed to be. Take this rock or the stick. And when he rode by, we're supposed to see who could hit his fender as many times as possible. Well, my five-year-old brain didn't hear that. <laughs> All my five-year-old brain said was, take the rock and hit him. <laughs> so right. as he came by, boom, I threw, <laughs> I threw the rock and I nailed him on his bike right between. I just, I was five. And it, I think the most hysterical part of that story is his mom bringing him over to my house, to my parents to say, your daughter hit my son with a rock. And mom was mortified and dad was like, he, he was just, he thought that was the coolest thing in the world. His five-year-old right. had that kind of aim. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it just, you know, it started, I didn't have a lot of opportunity, really. I mean, there were some, some church leagues when I was a kid that I got to play in and a few school things and stuff. And, and I really didn't have, I, I played a lot with the boys because there were just, there were no girls' teams for things when I was a little girl. And so I played a lot of, I just played whatever I could with the boys and um, any sport that I could. 
Um, and then when I got to high school, a junior high and high school, then it started to develop into more, more opportunity for me to have some actual coaching. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a little bit limited back in those days, but there are a few people that were really, really good. And I became interested in particular in softball and basketball because I think probably because dad was really good at it and I watched him and, and it was stuff that was available for me to do. So I did that. I played everything in, in high school. I played every sport in high school. And then when I got to college, I was a two-sport athlete in basketball and softball. And did, at what point did you feel like softball kind of took precedent over basketball? Well, that's interesting because um, I was better at softball, but I loved basketball a little bit more. And uh, I actually, you know, I had a, I, I started, I didn't start at the University of Utah. I started at another school down south that did not turn out well. Okay. And, uh, you know, I mean, we all have those stories of, of everything that didn't go well. And, uh, and, it, and it really rocked my confidence for a while. And I was, I was one of the top basketball players in the conference at the time. And, and uh, it's amazing how uh, some, some, you know, just coaching situations and stuff may not work out. And it really rocked my confidence. But I loved basketball so much. But I became, I became a, a really great hitter and a great pitcher in softball. And so my, my talent was better in softball than it was in basketball, even though I, I, you know, I was pretty good in both of them. So I think sometime around, I was a dominating player from high school on in softball. I was, I, I could compete with the best in basketball, but I was dominating in softball by the time I was in high school. Okay. I'm curious to what, to kind of maybe backtrack a little bit here. And you mentioned maybe, maybe dealing with some coaches. Uh, right. something didn't quite work out. That's a big part of this is talk, let, letting experienced folks like you tell, hey, when you go to high school, when you go to college, sometimes it's not going to be the perfect fit that maybe you thought it was going to be. Right. You, you get there, maybe coaches are a little bit different. Um, do you mind elaborating on maybe what you felt happened at that school? No, I don't mind elaborating on that at all. It's, it's uh, I didn't know why. For I mean I I mean I just thought I was a I thought I was a great kid and everybody should love me as an athlete <laughs> as an athlete on their team. Uh, I guess that's not the case always. But um, but I was there for I was down at BYU for two years. There was I said the words. Um, okay. Anyways, I was down there for two years. And the first year uh, I I was starting freshman on the basketball team. They actually stopped the softball program the year when I, when I started. Oh wow! They, they stopped. They they eliminated the program. And that was disheartening because at the time they were actually one of the better programs collegiately in the state. Uh, the University of Utah started the year that I was a freshman, they started their programs and I didn't know that was gonna happen. Okay. Uh, or I may have made a different decision. Um, but uh, for some reason, uh, and, and you know, I, I can speculate to what that might be, but for some reason, partway through, I mean, my freshman year was a great year. Uh, my sophomore year, uh, my, my freshman year, I was one of the top 10 basketball players in the conference. Mm. Freshman year, I mean, sophomore year, they voted me the captain of the team. I was, uh, I was the leading scorer, second leading rebounder, and I was um, a wing player. I wasn't even a, I, I was a, you know, a two or three. I wasn't, I wasn't very tall. I'm only 5'7". Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I was uh, second leading assist. So I, I, was, I was playing well, and all of a sudden I was put on the bench and uh, not really, not told why. And it was really kind of, it was, it was hard because it was abusive. And I didn't really understand why. And I tried to figure things out and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's, it, was, it was hard. It, it beat me up. And, um, and I, I, you know, I, I don't want to point fingers at anybody because it was just a cultural thing and it was just what happened. And yeah. so at the end of that season, I, I remember going into the coach and just saying, hey, you know, she was like, come in and I want to talk to everybody about their year and I just I just said to her hey you know I just I just think I should probably go someplace else she said I finally figured out what went wrong this year and I was like oh great because I don't even know what happened this year and she said you just don't have what it takes to be a very good basketball player and I was I was just I was knocked back but I I wasn't surprised that came from her but I just said to her, you know, I, I don't even know if that's true or not anymore. I, with my confidence level, I don't even know if it's true anymore. But I'm going to go to the University of Utah. And I'm going to play for Fern Gardner. And she's an amazing coach in Utah. Okay. I mean, she has a history of 
just, uh, just a history of as a player and a coach. And she said, what, I remember saying, what, what do you, what makes you think you can play for her? And I don't know why I had the guts to say this, but I just said, well, after playing here for two years, nothing makes me mm. think that I can play for her. But I guarantee you, if I'm on the team, she thinks I should, that I should be there. Wow. Okay. And, uh, and I'll tell you, it took a little bit. It took some real, uh, a real coaching on her part and just some, some real reassuring to get me back to a point where I had my confidence back, but I got my confidence back as an athlete. And they had a great softball program, and I was able to really excel there. By the time I graduated from there, I was able to play three years softball there. By the time I, I graduated from there, we were number six in the country um, and coming from nothing. And, uh, but it was, it was amazing to see the different coaching styles. And uh, so I've experienced coaches that can, can beat you up. And you just, what I learned is that you, you just, uh, you can't blame anybody for doing their best or if you get beat up. You can't, you just can't harbor that forever. You just gotta, you gotta move on and you gotta, you know, keep working towards your own confidence. Cause that's, that's really, that's the best thing that sport gives us. Right. Yeah. In, in the long run. Yeah. It's confidence in who we are and what we're capable of and in knowing how to uh, persist. It's really interesting. Cause I, I've talked to, I can't tell you how many young athletes and I'm sure you're in this boat as a coach and I'm sure that taught you as a coach, how to act and how not to act with, with your players. I mean, these players are on your team and you're telling them that you're not good enough to play. So that, that happens all the time, but it's also like, at what point do we crush an athlete from a confidence standpoint? And then do we build that athlete back up again? Or do we just, I know this athlete is not going to come back to the school. So I'm just going to crush them and let them leave this school with the worst taste in their mouth, which maybe that's probably what you had. I'm assuming that I'm just ready to move forward and I want nothing now to do with that school ever again. Right. You know, <laughs> it was so interesting because having experienced that and then becoming a coach, I was hyper vigilant on what I said and how I came across. Right. And I guarantee you there are, there are people who, there are people that I coached that can say that I, that I ruined the sport for them and not because I wanted to or tried to, but because it's so, so here's, here was my approach from that. Yeah. What I never wanted to do was to say to anybody, you're not good enough. Mm -hmm. But what I started to do was to take a lot of stats during practice and just really follow up on things and just saying, here's where I need you to be. If you want game time, okay. I, I, you can't, you just can't tell me, listen, coach, I just, you know, practice is one thing I can play in a game. Just put me in the game. It's like, you got to, I can't risk it as a college coach. Cause it's a business. I can't yeah. risk you proving yourself there your your time to prove yourself is here and i'm watching and yeah of course it's pressure because there's going to be more pressure here right so this is nothing so I, I i used to keep stats and do that kind of stuff and and um try to help them understand that um this is why instead of just saying you're just not good enough it's like here's where you need to get better and here i, I will help you we'll give you extra stuff to try to help you get there mm -hmm. but tried to be specific enough with that it wasn't always perfect because you got personalities and you know you got you got people yeah sure and it's never going to be perfect but but that was for my approach was to try to be a little bit more compassionate and at the same time hold a bar for athletes because i think one of the greatest gifts i can give if you're my athlete i'm not letting you get away with being mediocre mm -hmm. that would be such a disservice of me to you to let you be mediocre because right. then you think that I think that's okay. And that, that you're, that's who you are and that's your ability level. But uh, I think people rise to the occasion when they know that you know what they're capable of. And that's what I would, that's what I would, you know, that's what I would try to do as a coach. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we, we've jumped way ahead here. We, we still, we haven't even we finished the career. <laughs> yeah. But, but that was good because that was, that's a pretty interesting experience with, yeah. Uh, I call it dealing with coaches or working yeah, yeah. with coaches and their personalities and the different circumstances there. Yeah. Um, so you, now you finished it. So you have two years at BYU. You've now right. transferred to university of Utah. Right. Right. So tell us what that experience is like and how did things change at this point? 
it was night and day. It was night and day. I was, I felt valued as a human being uh, by my coaches. Mm. Um, I also felt valued as an athlete by my coaches. And um, so it was, it was all of a sudden I felt like I could breathe and I could, I could uh, excel because I could make a mistake. Uh, because I still had, people had faith in me as a human being and people cared for me to do better. And, um, and I was surrounded by people who, who wanted me to do well. So I, most importantly, I think that I felt like I could breathe because I could make a mistake and it wouldn't, it wouldn't identify who I was and it wouldn't have an impact on the next week of whatever I could, I could brush it off. I could get to something that, you know, we may talk about later, which I always called in my athletic career and my coaching career, the so what factor. Okay. It's just like this, the whole so what. It happened. Let it go. Go. Move on. And I really, I was able to really start getting to back to that when I was, when I was there. Mostly because uh, I was, I, I just because of the way I was treated as a human being by those coaches and expectations. Their expectations of me were pretty high mm-hmm. and I loved it. I loved it because it was like, yeah, I can do that. Okay. Absolutely, I can do that. But it took me a while to get there. Sure. It took a little, took a little compassion for a minute. So let's talk about the so what factor. Explain that for us. You know, it's 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 one of those. Uh, we'll take it. We'll use a, a baseball, softball, you know, scenario of of. And I've had this happen to a lot of my athletes too. And it it came from something that I that I was able to learn. And uh, it was that whole. You know, you, you struck out at a time when it would have been an amazing thing for you to be able to, you know, save the day, been the big hero, but you struck out. And when you're coming back, you know, the game's not over. Hmm. There's going to be more opportunity. Maybe not. There might be another game. Whatever the case is, I learned somewhere along the way to just say to myself, okay, you struck out or you just gave up a home run, you know, as a pitcher, or you just, you know, gave up that one hit or your second baseman made an error that cost you the game. It's just like, so what? So what? Let's think about this. And so what has, and not in a demean, not in a way to just demean the experience, but to call attention to the, to the perspective of it. You struck out. So what? Does that mean that you're done? No, it means take a few minutes, go to the, go to the cooler, drink some water, say whatever you want to in your glove, spew for a few minutes and let it go. Because as you and I both know, managing the emotions of the game is, is it puts you in a position to potentially react positively. If you can manage the emotion of it, and that helped me a lot. In fact, when I was coaching, the last few years I was coaching, we had a sign that just said, so what? in the dugout, hung on the thing. So when things happened and, you know, they just knew when they were ready, they'd hit it after they'd let it go. So what? Here we go. I love that. So it's, a, it's actually like the, a physical release, yep. right? And you're allowing yourself to, because you know you're going to make mistakes, right? There's sure. A million obstacles. You got that physical release. So what? I know I have to go back out on the field and, and do it again. Yeah. And acknowledging, you know, we'd always acknowledge that hurts. <laughs> and that is, that's pretty disappointing. And, you know, I could use other language to being a coach and being an athlete, but yeah. this is a podcast. So, <laughs> but I tell them, put your glove up in front of your, get your glove, put it up in front of your mouth and let it rip. Mm-hmm. Say whatever you want to just, you know, over where nobody else is going to see you. And then drink some water, breathe, let it go. Mm-hmm. Cause you know what? You could be the one to come back and win this thing in the end only if you can manage the emotions of this moment right now. What did, did you find um, as a player? Cause you, you did a lot of pitching, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how did you do that for, so and I, we can definitely translate this from a pitcher standpoint in softball to baseball. Did you have that same kind of routine in game and you, did you use that technique as well? Constantly. Yeah. Constantly. So I'm, I'm going to take it back a little bit further when I was a kid. So I was pretty talented uh, and, and there was no real youth programs. And so as a 15-year-old, there were there was college teams that would play in the summer. And as a 15-year-old, they brought me up and put me on the team that played during the summer. I learned a lot as a 15-year-old playing with a bunch of collegiate women. That was, that was interesting. I learned yeah, a lot. I learned that's a crazy. Lot. It is crazy. That's a big difference. <laughs> it's a big difference. And, you know, I was, I was not very good. 
I was not very good to start with. I mean, I was good for my age, but not to compete with college kids. And, uh, um, and I learned a few things there. And one of the, one of the biggest ones was when I was, got a little bit older and, and uh, we were at the state tournament and, you know, my whole family's there and all this kind of stuff. And we have an opportunity to win it. It was like, I, you know, I'm, 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 the details are that we were down by four and the bases were loaded. I'm up. There's two out. And I hit this bomb. And I'm tearing around this thing and I'm gonna, you know, I'm, 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 this is gonna be great because I'm gonna tie the game when I slide into home and I was called out. And I did not believe that I was out. I pitched a fit. I was, I was throwing, I was throwing, I'm, you know, I'm like 17 years old. I'm throwing dirt at the, foot, the feet of the umpires. And you guys in baseball are thinking, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> but you know, I'm doing all this, I'm having a fit. And I turn around and look and my team is all off the field and they're standing over to the side with their arms kind of folded looking at me. And so I kind of sheepishly walk over there and they, you know, say whatever they say, because we just lost the you know, championship with the state tournament thing. And they're just, they're being very professional and great and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> they don't say anything to me, but the coach comes over to me afterwards, puts her arm around me and says, we don't do that. You don't, you don't do that right. on this team. And I was so embarrassed. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm 63 now. I remember that. I feel that. It was yeah. so impactful. And I just remember thinking, okay, I'm in a different league of how to operate and how to function and how to be. And I, that was one of the greatest lessons I learned from them. And so coming back to your question, too, of I understood that you had to manage emotions, even though there are times that you just want to take a bat and beat the crap out of somebody. Yeah. There's, there's, there's nothing more powerful. And I got to see this because I got to compete against, you know, the world's best in softball. I got to see at a young age, amazing athletes manage emotions and manage frustration in such a way that it made me just go, that's, that's who I want to be. Mm. And so how do you do that? How do you manage that? And so, you know, I used to do this with my athletes, and I learned some of this from some of the coaches uh, in, in our sport, as well as putting some of my, my twist on it. But I used, to, I used to tell my athletes, you know, it's, it's, and in fact, it's really interesting. We used to score our athletes on mental toughness, our pitchers in particular, because it's easier to do. Uh, it's not about what happened, it's about how you react to it. Because yeah. I'm sure, yeah, we're, so, but it's easy to score them on how you react to things that happen. So it's easy to kind of give them almost a, like a batting average, an average of how they react in, in a game to different situations. But to do that, we had to give them a routine around the mound so that it's just a, it, it, in fact, we had it laid out every specific step of what they did. So you, you watch pitchers in baseball too, and I know you know this, their routines are almost identical. Mm -hmm. And there's stuff that they do in every single one of those things to, you know, something, you, you, you let it go, what happened, assess, what needs to change, what should, you know, in every step of how you're moving around the mountain, you're just, you're analyzing, you're assessing, you're breathing, you're finding an anchor of some sort that lets you breathe. You gotta learn how to breathe, let it go, come back, clear. It's, I love the movie, uh, the nat uh, is it not the natural, uh, love of the game, yep. where he always says clear the mechanism. I used to use that piece because I experienced that. Mm -hmm. And you just get to a point where you just let it go. doesn't matter. And you have to develop that. doesn't matter. And then lock in so that you don't see anything else but you and your catcher and the target. And then you know you're ready. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but I'll tell you, learning that as a pitcher, what's great about that is you have so many opportunities. I mean, you got a hundred and something of them a game to develop this talent, this skill. Yep. That's why oftentimes some of the pitchers are some of the toughest mental people because they have more time more opportunity to practice it and develop it i think i agree and i, and I think it's crucial that you know when i've talked to pitchers in general when they don't they don't have any type of routine or technique like that right that it's hard to just say hey well you need to do that in the game it's like no let's start in practice right, right. start in your next bullpen when you throw a pitch that you don't like right it's you, you miss by a couple feet you're pissed you're upset right so why not practice it right there, right. right? And then be able to translate that into the game and it starts to become a natural, you could say, release technique, 
Yes. Right. To, to get you back into that mindset. Cause you don't want to get back on that mound again. Right. Without releasing what just happened. Right. And it's really about, you know, that routine is also going to have, you got to be smart. It's not just letting go. It's about what happened and why. Yeah. And what do I need to do? What didn't I do? What do I need to tweak? Like, got it. Okay. Got it. And then, and then letting go of the emotion as you go as well. And I used to have a center fielder that was just, I mean, she was, she was an all American. She was funny as all get out. And, uh, and, and we could always connect. So part of my, to come around, if something had happened that was tough or whatever, I, I would always connect with her and she would always, you know, give me some sort of a sign or a little bit of something. She knew that I was, just, whatever she may have done, eh, no big deal. You know, whatever it was, a lot of times she would make me just chuckle a little bit and realize, okay, we got this. We're okay. Mm. We're still here. Did you find that laughter helped a lot in, in that type of atmosphere? Yeah. I mean, there's times, there's times that give me 15 minutes before I can laugh about anything. Right. But, you know, that being light, being a little bit more light instead of being so, so serious about things that you can't, you can't breathe. Yeah. Uh, that would help a lot. Um, and it's, it's not, not laughter in a way to be silly or giddy or to lose focus, but it's that kind of, that's that kind of laughter that is, uh, that is centered in the joy of the game and the joy of competition. Right. You know, not just play, it's the joy of competition and doing your best and pushing each other. Yeah, that's keeping it light. I agree because when you, like, you, we, we've been both, we haven't played the game physically in a long time. And you kind of look back and you're like, oh, I, I went through a lot of games where I did really well and a lot of games where I did really bad or poorly, however you want to label that. And you kind of, you can, now it's super easy to laugh at it. You're like, yeah. I, me I remember how I felt there, like the emotions that were happening. I wanted yeah. to take this helmet and throw it all the way to the outfield. You know, I wanted to throw my bat or just let all this frustration out. Um, maybe it's extra st stress, extra pressure, not living ex to expectations, um, all those things. I'm sure you went through that, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, what's, what's interesting is that, uh, and, uh, you know, I know this with women, and I, I really believe this has to be the same with men, too. Uh, the camaraderie and the connection between athletes mm. is so critically important because you can't be an island going through some of this stuff. You right. can't, you know, I mean, if, if I'm, you know, if, if I'm excelling and I'm doing really, really well, and if I'm, you know, one of the best players on the team and my shortstop's having a bad game, um, for me to be able to lift her lightheartedly out of that, I have to have, there has to be some sort of a relationship there. I have, you know, for me to be able to say something sarcastic to anybody that would maybe lift you out, like, like you and I, I mean, we go golfing, I'll look at you, you'll hit something and I'll say something like, did you mean to hit it over there? Right. I mean, that was a great shot if that's where you wanted to go. Like, pull your head out of your butt, right? Yeah. Like that, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a nice, you shank really well. That's, you know, I've never seen anybody shank it so well. That, that hook is amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> But I, I would never say that to you if I didn't have a relationship with you. Right. If, if we didn't, if we didn't, if you didn't know that I, that I knew you to be somebody spectacular, it would be really hard for me to pull that off. Sure. And so I would always say to my, my teams and, and to the teams I was on is you, 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 sarcasm has no place if you don't have a relationship with each other. You right. gotta let it go. But sarcasm used the right way in a funny way, like, you know, my shortstop picking up the ball and, and throwing it a mile over the first baseman's head because she just rushed. I just would look at her and go, that was going like 90 miles an hour. <laughs> you, know, you didn't throw so dang hard. She would never have made it to third because we had to go so far to trace that thing down. That was amazing. <laughs> right. That kind of stuff to just let it go. So you turned it, you turned something that maybe was an error you turn it into a, something kind of sarcastic so you can laugh at it and yes. hopefully she can, re, he, the athlete can release that as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. As much as you can. You know, there's times you got to, if you know them, you sense, give it a minute, maybe a little too soon. But I, I, I believe that, you know, you just, if you take everything serious, so, I mean, and there are, I mean, everything is, everything's important. It is. Right. Everything's important. If you take everything so seriously that if one mistake is going to spiral you into some place where you can't perform anymore, 
you got to find ways to let it go and humor and relationship and being able to breathe correctly to slow things down, to slow your mind and your body down, I think is, is one of the best things that, well, sports psychology, one of the greatest things you learn from being, from really understanding sports psychology is learning how to breathe and slow it down. Yeah. Just, I mean, it's almost refined to that (laughs) simple of a principle, just breathe, slow it down, let it go. Yeah. And anticipate and just see, see it happening. Just see it happening. Yeah. And I think, too, on that note of, of knowing when to go to a teammate that is struggling, maybe, like you said, maybe they struck out three times, their head's in their, you know, in their head like that, and, they're, and you, you want to go help them, right? You want to ease their pain, right? You want to help them out. But I think that's why it's so important that when you find good teams, that they're they're close. Yeah. They they know they know each other. They they know when to go help or they know when to stay away. They're like, hey, give give, give them another minute. You know, give them another inning. Then if you feel like you want to say something, do it. Or or even after the game, you know, where you feel like it's a, a better moment. But that's so let let's kind of transition now from um that side of it for you as a player, because I know you had an amazing career. You did a lot of amazing things, but you were also were you a coach longer than you were a player? I'm assuming yes, right? Well, you know, it's almost 50-50. Uh, okay. I, was, I was a player for I was a player for 17 years, and uh, at a really high level. And I coached collegiately for 17 years. Okay. So, yeah. 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 So how how did you transition from a player to a coach? What was that like for you? And that's hard. Yeah. I went into being an assistant coach really early, and I just was like, oh, "Give me the ball." You wanted, you wanted to play still, right? I wanted to play still. I was just like, oh, come on. Just, just put me in. I can fix this. <laughs> That's an ego, isn't it, right there? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> it, was, it was hard, but at the same time, there were some things about it that I really, that I really uh, I did love. It was a hard transition for the first couple of years, however. But, um, but I was really, uh, even when I, when I was a player and when I was, a, when I was an assistant coach, I started training pitchers and hitters. Yeah. And I actually traveled all over the country for almost, almost 30 years training and coaching players and coaches. You're not even not, I went internationally too and was doing a lot of workshops. And, I, you know, I went to the Italian convention a couple of times, baseball, softball convention, which was really interesting to sit and have dinners with the baseball guys, you know, and we sit and talk stuff. Yeah. So, it was it was a it was a hard transition. I also had to um, I had to learn the distance between me and the player when I'm this close to them in age. Okay. That was you know that was. What age were you when you started? Coaching. I was in my twenties. Okay. I was in my I was in my twenties probably. I, I I would probably say somewhere twenty six twenty seven maybe. Okay. Um, uh, well, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a little bit less. Maybe I was more twenty four twenty five. So um, I did take one year off in between being a player before I stepped into coaching. So there was at least one year separation, which was really important, I think, for that to happen. But um, it was, that was tough. I had to learn. I, I made, you know, I made some mistakes because they were friends of mine. I had to learn that, you know, there has to be a little bit of a, to be really effective, there has to be a little bit of a separation between you as a, a friend and, and a peer mm-hmm. and a coach. And as an assistant coach, that's really hard to do. Uh, but as an assistant coach, you're oftentimes a little more close to the players. Right. So you can be that liaison with the coach and kind of give them the real, here's what's really going on behind the scenes and that kind of stuff, which is really important as long as your, your, um, your connection to your coach and your, uh, your commitment to the coaching staff is there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it, it was, it was a tra- tough tra- transition for the first little while. Uh, but then I started to, what I, one of the things that brings me great joy and has always brought me great joy from when I started teaching pitchers and hitters, nothing, nothing sends me over the top like somebody excelling at something that they've been working on, that I've been helping them to try to do. And then when they do it, it's like, I, I don't know, I just, it just, I, do, I come unglued. When yeah. I get so excited about that. I mean, I'm just, that's when you see me flying out of the dugout and just want to, you know, run across the field and grab this person and just go, I know how hard that was, that what you just did. 
I know what you just did. And so that corner sort of turned for me and, and I got, I, I was able to let go of me as a player and enjoy their success. Mm. And that's, that's, that's one of the things that brings me the greatest joy is helping somebody achieve their potential. Yeah. So you, so you're an assistant coach and what school is that at? Do you university? Of Utah. Mm -hmm. And then from there you got your first head coaching job at UMass. Well, right? yeah. So I, so I was an assistant coach there uh, for three years. And at the time the, the head coach uh, at for softball was also the head coach of volleyball because this is again, back in the day and oh, yeah. everybody did everything. And so <laughs> they, they contacted me and said that, you know, the athletic department said, Hey, listen, she's going to make a decision. She's going to pick volleyball. We'd like for you to come and be the softball head coach. And I was like, I'm in, this would be yeah. such so cool. I'm going to be a 26 year old head softball coach at a university. <laughs> this is so cool. The day of she chose the different sport. She chose softball. Mm. I was, I was devastated. So I was her assistant coach for three years and I was making, you know, I, I could have stayed in that forever because I was making so much money, <laughs> $3,500 a year. Wow. $3,500 a year as an assistant softball coach. Jeez. So I was working a couple of jobs and, uh, and I just couldn't, I couldn't continue to live on that. And so yeah. I, uh, I actually taught school for five years and kept teaching students and athletes and all that kind of stuff and training people across the country and internationally. And, and then I, you know, I also do this little music thing and I decided I'm going to go to Nashville for four <laughs> years. Well, I was going to go to Nashville and see what happened. Yeah. So I was there for four years. And I did, you know, I did really well. And then I realized, okay, you know what? I really love this coaching thing. If I go into music full time, I can't coach. Right. But if I go into coaching, I can still do some of this stuff on the side if I want. So that's what I chose. And so UMass Amherst gave me an opportunity to be associate head coach. So I was up there for three years as the associate head coach. And then they, uh, the head coach stepped down. This is a little known fact. Head coach stepped down, hired me as the head coach. For two months in the summer, I was recruiting, and the University of Utah called and said, "We have an opening." That's home, right? Right. That's you know, and I'm my thinking dream myself, job. my right. dream job. Well, here's the thing: I can stay at UMass, and we're competing against you know in our conferences, Buffalo, New York, New Jersey. Um, you know, I'll, in April, right. Buffalo, right. New York, in April. cold. University of Utah at the time is in Hawaii and San Diego and Arizona. And I'm like, <laughs> I, it wasn't a hard decision. It was a hard decision because I loved UMass Amherst. They're an amazing athletic department. I treated so well there. And, but, you know, University of Utah came calling and, you know, my family's not, they just don't play fair. And they did everything they could to convince <laughs> me to come home. So I did. That's incredible. So now, and how long were you at the University of Utah? 10 years. 10 years. What, what you, I know you got some stories in here um, regarding, maybe we'll go the route as, as you, you've been coaching for a while, um, you know life experience, uh, these girls are coming to you, and you're, you're not only you're your head coach, but you're giving life advice. Right. Any, any stories that were kind of maybe transformative where you, maybe a girl is really down on something and you help get them through that. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite ones, I'll, I'll tell you one of my favorite ones. First of all, uh, during that period of time that I was uh, 10 years at, at Utah, I was also in the coach, I was uh, one of our USA team coaches for, um, the, for four years. I was in that pool and I got to be the head coach of a number of our, of our USA team co uh, that played internationally in preparation for the Olympics and stuff. I didn't get to coach them in the Olympics. Uh, that was a, that's, you know, it's just the way that turned out. But um, I did get to coach them a lot of things. So I was coaching athletes that were, that were collegiate athletes and our USA team. So there's a lot of interesting things with that. But I'll tell you one story in particular that I think that I, I, I think always brings me the, some of the greatest joy. And there was, there was a young woman who was one of my last recruits. And she was, uh, she was out of Northern California and she was an amazing pitcher. She had, I remember going to watch her. She was at a JC and she was at a JC because her grades weren't that good to, to you know, out of high school. Um, she, I, I would watch her throw from behind the fence and I would see spin on a ball and I would see attitude and the command of the, she had a presence about her that was just like, this is my space. 
I got this stand back. Mm -hmm. And you know, that kind of an attitude coming from a pitcher, uh, I was just like, whoa. The other thing about her that, that, that was really interesting is she was, she was just gorgeous. Mm. And I say that because a lot of times she was dismissed and seen only as that. And she didn't have very good grades and people kept saying, this is who you are. You're never gonna excel in, in division one. You can't do that. What do you think you're doing? And she just never thought that she could, she was gonna be great at, at, she thought she was a very beautiful woman who wasn't that smart, but could throw a ball. Okay. And so I got her and I got her, we got her into college. And I remember she was struggling right out of the chute because, you know, she wasn't an A student, but she was good enough to get a collegiate degree. Mm-hmm. And she ended, up getting a, she ended up getting her degree. And she ended up excelling it, it unbelievably on the field. But I remember having a conversation with her and just saying, hey, Megan, here's the thing. Right now, you're being judged on so many things. One, you know, you're, you're, there's you have a social component about you that is unbelievable. You can, you can light up a room when you walk into the room. You have a social component. That's going to stay with you forever in your life. You have an athletic component that you are, you're one of the best pitchers I've ever seen. Yes, there's an academic thing going on right now, but this one is one that you're going to be judged on for this period of time in your life. And if you're not the best, but you're good enough to get a college degree, who gives a rat's? Mm-hmm. And honestly, if you go get a job after this, people aren't going to say, well, were you an A student, a B student, or a C student? You have a college degree. You got through this. There are people that are A students right now on our team that will never have your athletic ability and will never have your, your social ability to engage with people and make them feel like a million bucks when you're around them. Now, let me ask you, when you get out of college and you get done with this, which one of those would you like to take with you? Right. And I said, you're being judged and you're judging yourself harshly on this one when you're excelling at all of these other things that you're going to have with you for your life. So you've got to manage, do your best, get through this. You can do it. It's going to be hard, but it's a piece of a period of time and you're the whole package, not just this. (laughs) And you know, I think she heard it because it was hard, but she, she, she lightened up. She got the help she needed. We got her help she needed to, you know, to the, whatever tutor she needed, whatever, whatever she needed to get through college. And she graduated. And I remember the day that she graduated was one, of my, was one of my happiest days because I knew what it took for that kid to get herself in a place where she knew that she could do that, where she was capable. She was more than what everybody had been telling her and what she bought into because of the stories that people who were trying to make her feel small what they were telling her. I think, and I think people do that just because they're afraid of people excelling too much. And, and, and what do you do with somebody that excels that much? You know, we like to pull people down. Yeah. Yeah. Brack and I talk a lot about that with all the, I guess, life coaching we've been listening to and training and all that aspects of life where there, there's a certain model that they have where their circumstances have dictated something, right? So now they're going to think a certain way that'll make them feel crappy because it's a bad thought and then their actions are going to dictate that and it's going to be lead to bad results and so it's going to all those poor thoughts are going to kind of be trampled on the person you're talking to right absolutely it's amazing when you when you're able to learn how to step back from your thoughts and look at them so that you're separate from them and to be able to then react like you're talking about it takes a little bit but i think that's one of the beauties of sport isn't it it, it allows you a, a quick, constant looking at that, which mm-hmm. is, I think, one of the, that's why so many athletes become so great in the boardroom and in great in careers because they've learned stuff because they've had an opportunity for so much practice at that. Absolutely. Cool. That's interesting. Yeah, it, it's just, it's mind-blowing to this day where you still hear so many stories of adults in leadership positions still telling kids they can't do things, you know, it just, it's mind blowing to me. Um, And sometimes you won't believe some of the players I've spoken to. These are big league players that sometimes it just took one coach to just 
they, they, they lacked confidence. They were down on themselves. But that coach said something or shares a story. They did something where it helped. It just took one thought, one belief, and it, it just got them back on yeah. track. And then they started to believe in themselves again. And it, it just kind of keeps escalating. They keep growing. Like, yeah, I can do this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And honestly, it usually, it doesn't take them. It doesn't take a multitude of coaches yeah. in a person's life. It takes the, it takes one. It takes one that plants that seed so deep that it makes you believe. Right. And it's, you know, confidence from a lot of times confidence in you starts from confidence from them. And, uh, and, and it's just, you know, you never know as a coach, you never know what it is that you said that was that thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of times, you know, you just, you try to make sure that your body language and, and, and what you say tries to build and lift. I mean, there are times you have to be really honest with people. And I think being honest in a way that is, uh, compassionate, but firm, uh, is, is also a way of make, of giving people confidence because, you know, if you're, if you're handling somebody with kick gloves and you're being too gentle, they'll see right through that. They'll know that, you know, it's just like, you're handling me tender because you don't think I can handle it. Mm -hmm. it's, it I mean, you know, everybody's different, but it, it's, it's an interesting, and that's what's, what, that's the beauty of coaching is nobody's the same and you got to figure it out with everybody. And it's, uh, yeah. it's interesting. So you, you mentioned that you spent time with some of these Olympians, like some mm -hmm. of these best softball athletes in the world. Um, yep. Any, any names that we would know that you worked with, they're like, Oh yeah, I remember th those people. Oh gosh. Uh, so Lori Harrigan, uh, Lori Harrigan, Jenny Finch. Um, Lori, Lori lives here in Vegas. I'm, I'm scheduling awesome. her to do an interview. I'm telling you. Well, you, you say hi for me. I will. You say hi. <laughs> Lori Harrigan. What was really cool is Lori Harrigan. Uh, I, we were down at uh, the Pan American Games in Colombia, Medellin, Colombia, and uh, that was a story because holy cow, that was. I mean, that was drug cartel. I mean, it was something else. And uh, Lori was probably the most seasoned player on the team at the time, and she was nursing an injury. And this team had just been beat up because they had. I, I got them for two weeks before we went into the Pan American Games, and they'd lost their first international uh, tournament in years, and so they were they were a little beat up. And uh, she, she, uh, she was injured. And um, I just remember I kept, we used her a little bit, kept sparing, using her sparingly. And I kept saying to her, I need you to be the leader that pushes everybody that gets us to the end. You're going to have the ball in the circle on the championship game, but I got to preserve you till then. But I need you to keep pushing everybody else and being that support for them. And she was brilliant. And I'll tell you, she was, she was not feeling great that championship game, but she was brilliant. And uh, it was really fun to watch her. But there, I mean, there were, there were a, lot of, a lot of those kids, a lot of those kids that ended up on the Olympic team. And what, what was interesting is Nina Lindenberg was a, uh, a great second baseman from Fresno. And when they sent us down, they didn't send us to shortstop because they decided to give her a break. And so we had two second basemen and I went to Nina and I said, I got to have, can, can, I got to have you play shortstop. You got to, you got to fill this in for us. And what was really interesting is that she had to think a lot and she, she really had to focus uh, and, and really think, where do I go? What do I do? Cause it's different as you know, I mean, it's just like, okay, this is not this, I got to go here and your natural reaction would be something else. And so she had to focus so much that she's one of the better hitters in the game and she hit like crap the whole tournament she hit like crap but we had a discussion because I kept saying to her you're not playing free you're playing in your head because you have to right now right. but you're giving us what we need to succeed by being that solid shortstop and she was brilliant at shortstop she just couldn't hit her way out of a brown paper bag during this tournament it was so <laughs> frustrating for her and so it was another one of those I know you're really good at this you got to let that go if you don't hit you're saving us. You're going to help us win because you're filling a role that we needed. And it was a good lesson for everybody too, to know that, you know, I'm back to thinking about what I do. And if I think about what I do, I'm never, I'm not going to play free. Right. It's not that I'm not into that unconscious incompetence where you just, you freely do and you get into the zone. She had to think that whole time. And, and she, she, she let it go. And she was a brilliant shortstop and she couldn't hit her. She couldn't hit a lick. But, uh, you know, the next tournament, you put her back at second base, and all of a sudden, she's hitting the crap out of the ball again. So it's, it's an interesting thing. 
but that was uh but it was interesting that you know the difference between those two athletes between collegiate athletes and uh and olympic athletes and what i found one of the biggest differences was the olympic athletes were more open to really to great coaching but they knew it when they heard it they they would they would take the few bits and a few things and they would really they would they knew how important those little things were but they were open to hearing them uh and collegiate i think and that's because of their confidence level they had a lot of confidence and so they could they could be open to hearing suggestion and it's harder when you don't have a lot of confidence you just you want to stick with what you know and instead of open yourself up to change mm -hmm. and they were they were they were really good with that they were great and you know, going back to what you said about teams that are great teams or teams that are connected. You really, you know, I used to think that it was more important for women than men because I always thought, well, men just need to play well to feel good. You know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and women, they need to, they need to feel good to play well. Uh, but I think that for both that chemistry is critical. And, and I used to say to my teams, you know, you got the talent, but if you don't care for and about each other and you'll never achieve it, and unfortunately, I can't give it to you. That is all you, yeah. you as a team. I can give you situations where you can, you know, work together on it, but it's all you. It's your relationship. I can't develop your relationship for you, but I'm just telling you, if you want to achieve, you better start really liking each other, figure out how to help each other. Yeah, and I think that's where captains, of, you know, coaches assign captains, you know, it, like the high school level, you, you might have one captain, maybe two. And that's something that I kind of preach. I'm like, hey, there's nothing that a coach wants to see more than you guys or, or girls all together hanging out, right? Going bowling together, going, right. going to the pizza place, going to the movies together. Why? Because you're together and you're sharing all these experiences. And you start to get to know each other, yeah. right? Like we talked about before. So you know when, when your teammate, your shortstop is down, you, you know how they react. You know how they're thinking a little bit. You know how they're feeling. And you know when to, to go help them or not, or to give them more space. And then a lot of times when you're together, you know, they drive each other home after games, or then you can talk about it, you know, instead of talking to mom and dad, yeah. like in Little League, and you, and you dreaded that, because crap, I got to drive home with dad. He's going he's gonna, to, you know, get into me. <laughs> right. It's Now it's with your teammates, and you're just more free and open to talk about stuff. Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the, uh, one of the greatest lessons I learned as a coach too, is uh, when I was up at the U, Urban Meyer was there uh, coaching football up there. And he was, he was brilliant at, you know, what Urban Meyer does. And one of the things that he does is he, he, he gets his leaders, his, his captains and the leaders on his team. And he, he empowers those guys and he has them, he has them right here. Mm -hmm. And you can just hear them become almost mini-me's of him. Their messages become the same. Right. They become the people who translate and, and disseminate this, his message to the team. And they are so bought into him and he is so in belief of who they are. You can just feel that they're the, almost this small team that then affects the rest of them. And they take that message and keep empowering everybody else. And I just knew, you know, I can't, I can't reach every kid the same. But by the time they're seniors and they're captains and they're, they're the leaders on the team, I will have had enough time with them that that's some of the most important relationship that I would have with those people that had then influenced the rest of the team and the, the culture of the team. Yeah. yeah. Did, you, did you have, speaking of culture, as a head coach, that's like one of the most important things, right? You want to, you wanna, okay, what do I want this team to do? What do I want to look like? Who are my captains? Who's going to run this thing? Did you have a kind of specific guidelines and rules that you wanted and kind of, I guess, protocols, policies that you wanted to follow? Or was it just really kind of simple and just a couple different messages, I guess, for the team? You know, the more complicated I made it, the more rules I made, the more I had to enforce. Yeah. And so I tried to, so we did it in uh, the last few years that I, that I uh, coached, I had a leadership training thing that I did with my team and it was a four-year training sort of that we did and it was based on uh you know first thing you've got to do as a freshman and and well that because that was the first year of leadership training mm -hmm. you got to learn how to lead yourself and so we spent really kind of two years on leading yourself because if I'm 
if I'm somebody that's a team captain and I'm breaking the team rules, in other words, I'm not leading myself well, I'm not doing what I should, I'm not, I'm not controlling my own emotions on the field, I'm not contributing in any way. If I, if I can't lead me emotionally, physically, if my effort isn't there and all that kind of stuff, I'm not gonna be looked at like a leader. I'm not, people aren't gonna buy into me as a leader. So we spent the first two years really helping with that. And then the, the third year is really about becoming the, the type of leader that's in a, not an enforcer, but um, that would elevate people, kind of like a cheerleader type. That somebody who's now, I, I'm, I'm doing what I should be doing, I'm leading myself correctly, and now I'm leading others by just really um, lifting them and empowering them and contributing to you know, a great atmosphere that way. And it's not until you have really mastered that in relationship with those people and doing the right thing yourself that you could get to that last level of leader, which is th that I can call you on your actions. Right. If, you're, if, you're, if you're breaking team rules, if I look at you and, I'm, and, I'm, and I've been lifting you and I've got a great relationship with you and, and I know that you were you know, doing something you shouldn't have done, for me to sit down in front of you and say, Chad, that isn't you. I don't know, uh, you know, that isn't you. That's taking you away from where you could go. Mm -hmm. and, and just being able to have that conversation with you, you can't do that until you have these other three under your belt, until you have that foundation under you and that trust from the people that you're talking to to get to here, because then you don't even know how to be an enforcer. I don't know, I can't enforce, I can't say to you, listen, no, we're not, we are not gonna go to that party because you know we have that game tomorrow. Guys, we're not doing this. Mm -hmm. They're only going to buy into you if you've been that person that has been lifting them and they trust you. And, you know, being pretty good is helpful too. But um, I'll, it's not going to happen unless you do that. So we would do that with our athletes. And if I have that kind of a program, that kind of a training, then the natural leaders, I, I don't even, it's like I don't even have to pick them. They just, they just rise. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and you know who they are because you can see people buying into the program, buying into that whole process. And, and it became really simple. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. So wrapping up your coaching career, you coached for like 17 years, uh -huh. 17 years as a player, 17 years as a coach. Now you've transitioned into real estate. Yep, yeah, right? so, for a long time too. <laughs> yeah, so that's been quite the transition. So how have you taken what you've learned from sports life great. and all, all that how do you take that into your your career with real estate that's such a great question because what was really interesting is um i mean sales sales is an interesting beast and it takes it takes perspective resilience and confidence and you know i mean you've, you've got to work hard and you've got to have perspective and, you, and resilience and all, all of those things you take from athletics. And I just remember getting into it from the very beginning and uh, you know, they try to motivate you with numbers. And you and I know how, how you can't get motivated with numbers. You can't focus on numbers or you're gonna get tripped up. You just gotta focus on what I can do right now. Yeah. And the numbers will fall in place. It'll all happen. It'll, it'll be fine if you focus on what can I do right now? Because I know, <clears throat> you and I both know, the only thing you can really control is your attitude and your effort. And you know, just your focus and staying right here, right now. And so that helped me a lot because it was hard when I started this whole thing. It was hard. It, really, it kind of beat you up a little bit, and you know, a lot of no's, a lot of, a lot of stuff. And I would look at people trying to motivate me with, with numbers and you know what you could do. And I'm just like, you know, that's that's all. You know, it's, it's irrelevant because right now I started in like 2008, 2009. Hello, depression almost. <laughs> A little bigger <laughs> you're not going to motivate me with numbers when nobody's numbers are good. Yes. I'm just looking to survive right now. And then, you know, at the peak of it, it's like they're trying to motivate you with numbers. And I'm like, listen, the market's given me that. All I want to focus on is what I can do to be excellent. How can I be excellent? What is it that I can do every day to be the best at what I'm doing? And, you know, it, it's the same thing. If you focus on doing the right thing and, be, and, and, and being of service to my clients, being of service and really being good at it. So making sure I know the craft, making sure I'm, you know, I, I'm smart enough to know 
what's going on and, and stuff and being really of service and listening, the numbers will come. And in fact, I have a business partner and we've, you know, we've been in the hall of fame for real estate people and we've, we've been the top team for five years uh, and stuff. And people ask us, what's your goal for this year? And our goal, we've, five years ago, we, we've said, if you say to us, we, you know, you guys, you want to sell 30 million this year? We went, no, we want to be excellent. Mm-hmm. We want to be of service and we want to be excellent. We want to focus on what we can control because the numbers we can't control. But you know, if you do that, everything's going to fall into place. So probably, probably the greatest lesson from athletics. And I see it happening with everybody that, is, that was a pretty good athlete and learned those things in athletics. I see them excel in the stuff that they, that they do outside of that if they take those same lessons. And I think it's, you know, because you learn perseverance, you learn perspective, you learn resilience, you learn to stand back up again and not quit. And that's really, I mean, all of our success in everything, really, isn't it? That we just we stand back up again. Yeah. We just keep going. So what? That sounds a lot to me like process over outcome. Totally. Right? Yeah. It's, totally. You're totally focused on the process. Hitters, we, we're so worried about our, our batting average. And, yeah. oh, I'm two for 10. I, I got to hit 300. So how many hits do I need to get for my next right. 10 bats? Like, no. Right. Like, focus on what you have to do right now today. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. That's that whole breathing. Let it go. Be present. And just, you know, clear the mechanism. Right. Be, right, be right here, be right now, put yourself in a position every single moment to succeed. And that takes, that takes that, that takes letting go of all of that stuff and clearing, clearing that all up. Because if you hang on to that kind of stuff, it's just, you know, it's, it'll, it'll eat you alive Absolutely. in everything. And I'm learning about that in business too. But. <laughs> well, you've been doing awesome. The, the house you in, we, we were just in it a few months ago. You completely remodeled it. Yeah. Um, last time we talked, you said you're kind of getting somewhat close to retiring. Um, things have been going well in the Salt Lake area. They have. They right? have. And I, you know, and one of the things that I'm, I'm hell bent on, I'm going to shoot par. There you I'm go. Gonna shoot, I'm going to shoot par someday. Yesterday, <laughs> yesterday I was three over. Okay. And, um, and that's as close as I've come. And so it's just made me go, okay, I got I to gotta work a little harder for a little bit longer so that I got enough money to play golf all day, every day, if I want to. <laughs> and then you come on up. Let's play. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and Chris will be in the bedroom reading another book. And yeah. No, she's <laughs> golfing. She's golfing. It's awesome. That's right. She's started. She's taking she's lessons. Well. Yes. Great. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Mona, this has been incredible. Uh, I told you before the call, I'm like, I've, been, I've been talking to all these former big leaguers, these coaches, and I'm like, um, my aunt, my wife's aunt, is a, you are what you are. You yeah. are a Division One college coach. I need to get you on here. So you are, this has been incredible. I mean, just the insight you have, the experience, um, just the type of person you are. I mean, I, there's not, I love playing golf with you. I love hanging out with you. And Chris, it's just so much fun. Well, you and I just start talking this stuff, and it's like everybody else sort of walks away from us. Yeah, you know, we like, do, we we'll go in the other room. Yeah. Just talk it out. Yeah, it's, it's love it. It's great. It's the best. Awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on board, and I'm going to get a lot more softball players on here. I have Lori Harrigan in the queue. I've been talking to her. Awesome. And hopefully that will expand into the softball arena, because I think a lot of um, – softball girls athletes you know Ladies. we're trying to just expand this thing and and all these thoughts ideas they don't just belong to men i mean this is athletics oh, no. it's life it's it's all of this and so you were the first one i thought of and, I, and you thanks. definitely delivered this is incredible thanks tell Lori hello i will all, all right. right i love you and we'll see you love soon love you okay thanks bye hey what's up guys i want to thank you for listening to today's episode if you had any experience playing a sport while growing up, or even now, you know, have a kid playing a sport, you know how important the mental game is. Now, there are many that say it's at least 60% of their sport, and some will even say it's as high as about 90%. So if the consensus is it's at least 60% of your game, no matter what sport, what are you or what are your son, you know, your daughter doing to work on the mental game? I want to help you out or your athlete out. As I work with athletes at all different ages, they are all different as far as their engagement in a group setting or in one-on-ones. To help give athletes some options, I wanted to hit on doing mental training on their own time 
one-on-ones, or even in a group setting. So I wanted to give you some options. My first option is my online course where I created over 40 videos where your athlete can watch, learn, and go through these videos at their own pace. I would think and say that this is great for those athletes that don't want to be a part of a group setting or they have thoughts, you know, they don't want anyone to know that I'm actually working on my mental game. Now, these videos come in a yearly membership where they watch the videos, they have access to me through email during the duration of their membership, and they get a one one-on-one call per year. And this is a membership, it's $199 per year. So more, for more information on that, go to mentaledge.training. The second option is for those that really like engagement. I've been doing live weekly online calls where I pick a topic to coach on, I engage and ask questions with the athletes on how this applies to them. They take notes in their mental game journal and they work on that particular skill or the topic I give them for that week. Now, this option is a membership as well, and it's $13.99 a month. I also do get a lot of inquiries about one-on-one coaching as well as team coaching. I do do those as well. So you can email me at chad at mentaledge.coach for more details on that. But if you want more information on the links on these memberships that I have, click on the show notes and I can give you all that information there on those websites. But I want to thank you again for listening to this podcast. I do want to make this better. I would love to hear any comments, any suggestions you have where I can make this podcast even better for you and to help you out. I also want to let you know that all these interviews in, on this podcast are also in video form on YouTube. And if you go search Mental Edge Training Coach, all these interviews will be there as well. So again, thank you for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. Take care.